we are human beings and it is our nature to do this. And this is one of the things that's crazy about trading in particular and investing to a degree. It's counterintuitive. Welcome to Understanding Investing, the show where you join us for a story-filled journey through the world of successful investing and come away better understanding investing. Join your tour guide, Dr. Richard Smith, as he digs deeper into successful investing by applying his background in mathematics and system science and his two decades of helping tens of thousands of individual investors make more money, take less risk, and understand investing. Hello and welcome to Understanding Investing, the podcast where we dive deep into the truth about what it takes to join the elite ranks of the world's most successful investors and traders. Our mantra, you can't succeed at what you don't understand. Or as it was better said ages ago, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get thee understanding. Because the truth is, successful investing and trading is accessible to anyone that's willing to take the time and has the patience to approach the markets in a systematic and respectful way. This podcast is a call to all those out there who are serious about achieving long-term and enduring success in the financial markets and reaping the rewards and responsibilities that come along with that success. Together, we will explore and uncover the hard-won and time-tested truths about building wealth in the financial markets. And slowly but surely, we will form a tribe of committed stewards of our own financial futures. We'll show the world how it's done and that it can be done through our actions and not just our words. Successful investing is not a mystery. Over the past several decades, both the technology and the psychology of successful investing have matured and evolved to the point of being genuinely useful and readily accessible. It's really just a matter of their consistent application. Cliff Asnes, the founder of Advanced Quantitative Research, or AQR, put it best when he said, and I quote, I used to think being great at investing long-term was about genius. Genius is still good, but more and more, I think it's about doing something reasonable that makes sense and then sticking to it with incredible fortitude through the tough times. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Smith. I studied mathematics at one of the top five universities for mathematics in the world. I went on to get my PhD in the field of system science, where I did my dissertation on the mathematics of decision-making under uncertainty, and I earned the moniker of the doctor of uncertainty. Then. I discovered the financial markets, and I quickly and painfully learned the lesson that when it comes to investing and trading, 
things are not what they seem. After running up my account 300% in just 18 months in 1999, I sat frozen like a deer in the headlights as all my gains evaporated in less than 60 days during the dot-com bust. All of my mathematical and systems training flew out the window as I was reduced to an emotional basket case, making ad hoc decisions and lying to myself in the process. I finally pulled the plug with all my gains gone, but my original capital, thankfully, intact. At least I was smart enough to realize that I'd better take a step back from the markets and figure out what was really going on. And I vowed that I would never let that happen again. But then it did happen again and again and again. When we read about the world's most successful investors and traders, thanks to Jack Schwager and his Market Wizards books, we often find that it is the case that they blew up their accounts three or four times on average before finally realizing that it was time to stop banging their heads against a brick wall. If we don't approach the markets with a sense of humility, the markets will gleefully provide that humility for us. Slowly but surely, I started to develop tools and make discoveries that allowed me, at first, to hold my own in the markets, and eventually, to not just survive, but to thrive. In 2005, I began to share those tools online through my first financial technology product, TradeStops.com. Over the next 15 years, TradeStops came to be trusted by over 30,000 subscribers tracking over $20 billion of their own assets on the platform. I have recently moved on from TradeStops, and I'm happy to report that TradeStops remains alive and well and will continue to serve its customers for years to come. Today, however, I'm building on that past success and launching multiple new initiatives, including this podcast, as well as new technology that I believe will help not just tens of thousands of investors, but millions. But I can't do it without your help. You see, there is no magic bullet to investing success. There's no magic formula. There are only successful individuals. There's only you and me. I can develop successful systems that'll work for me and maybe a few others, but I can't develop successful systems that will work for millions without working with at least a few hundred other investors whose needs are different than mine. So let's put our backs to the plow and work together to understand investing and to then share that understanding through the independent media, word of mouth, and through new technology. That's why I'm here, and that's what this podcast is all about. In this podcast, I'll be sharing my own ideas and my own ongoing market research, but I'll also be interviewing proven market leaders who have their own wisdom and understanding to share. And I'll be speaking with you, the listeners, about your own experience in the markets and how we can shorten the learning curve to market mastery. I ask for your patience as we gradually get this snowball rolling down the hill. And I look forward to your constant feedback 
as to how we can go faster while still making sure that our snowball is truly growing, not just in speed, but in size and energy. So today, I'm pleased to welcome as our first guest on Understanding Investing, Mr. Stan Ehrlich. Stan is exactly the kind of market wizard whom we want to learn from in order to understand investing. Stan's been involved in the markets for nearly 50 years now. He started in the futures industry in 1971 as a runner on the Chicago Futures Exchanges. A year later, he was a futures broker with Conti Commodity Services at their flagship office in the CBOT, and he eventually owned his own brokerage for over a decade. Stan has lectured at over 150 technical analysis seminars and conferences throughout the world since 1975 for Reuters, Dow Jones, Futures Magazine, TradeStation, AAII, and many other organizations. He's a regular guest in the financial media, including CNBC, KWHY, and KQED. Most importantly, Stan is active in the markets himself. He eats his own cooking. Today, he's developing automated trading software based on his Ehrlich reversal trading strategy. I can tell you I've seen Stan's software in action myself and can testify that it's the best technology that I've seen for identifying short-term reversals. Stan, it's an honor to welcome you to Understanding Investing. Richard, I'm extremely happy to be here and thanks for asking me. So as uh, you know, the name of the podcast is Understanding Investing. And what's different about this podcast is we're really going deep. We want to know the truth about what it takes to really be successful in the markets as an investor or a trader. And I can't think of anyone better than yourself to help us understand investing, given the tremendous uh, breadth and depth of your own experience. I mean, you literally have done it all. Is there anything you haven't done, <laughs> Stan? Um, not divorced. Congratulations. That <laughs> I is, know. That's the biggest accomplishment in today's world, I would say. Got that correct. Hey, one of the things that jumped out at me immediately when we first started communicating was in your uh, signature line, you have a couple of uh, acronyms. One is Lila and Liper. Lila hyphen Liper, L-Y-L-A dash L-Y-P-R. Can you tell our audience what those mean? Of course. I like to say Lily Lipper. Lily Lipper, but, okay. But you're from the East right. Coast and I'm from the West Coast, so that's understandable. The Lily Lipper is uh, Limit Your Losses and Let Your Profits Run, a little acronym. And basically, it's what everybody should do, but most people don't do, and they usually don't know how to or why to or when to or what to do. So, <laughs> so that's a big problem. One of the reasons why I was an instructor for a while and liked to lecture to people is to try to overcome the terrible psychological handicaps that human beings have when it comes to this kind of activity. Richard, you've been there, done it, and seen it for sure. I couldn't agree more. So that little acronym just popped you know, in my head at one day, and I thought maybe it would be interesting, and I'm so glad you like it. So how um, was that really driven home to you that it became so important that you put it in your signature line of all of your emails? First of all, it was kind of cute. like a know? traumatic experience? <laughs> <laughs> being, I bet being there's the, a story there. 
Oh, gosh. Being in the markets for decades, there's a story everywhere. Right. And yes, um, and my wife didn't like it, so I definitely put it in there. It, it's so true, and it's just a, a, an obvious statement. There are a lot of people that put little acronyms in their signatures as well. Limit your losses and let your profits on. Well, a little explanation here, limiting your losses, well, how much of a loss? Is that a fixed amount? Is that a percentage amount? Are there special circumstances that might be involved, meaning COVID, for example? Uh, how long is the time frame part of the process? You know, and, and what method or combination thereof are you going to use to, quote, unquote, limit your loss? It's such an easy phrase to say and such a difficult thing to do. So, Stan, how do you limit your losses and let your profits run in your own uh, market activities? For a long time, for years, I've been in the process of developing uh, an automated trading system. Mm -hmm. And in that trading system is obviously algorithms that place protective, and I use that phrase instead of stop loss. A stop loss implies that if the stop is hit, you take a loss. But obviously, you can use stops to get into trades. You can use stops to get out of profitable trades. So uh, protective is, I think, a little bit better word to use when you are referring to a stop that is exiting a position. So uh, at first, when you're in a trade, you buy something, say, at $50 a share, you're risking a certain amount, and if the stop is immediately hit, you've got a bad trade and you have a loss. But you have to develop a technique for moving that stop as often as needed, whatever that means, so that relatively soon, you hope, it starts to protect a profit. I love that. Protective stop. It is a lot better than stop loss. You know, I, I've kind of struggled with that term myself. Because stop losses have been a big part of my career. So I know. thank you for that. That's great. Protective stop. I think, you know, I think language means a lot. And it I does. think it's important about how you think about that because people don't want to take losses. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to do it. In fact, lots of times you have to do it. It's not a bad thing. But that is a wonderful little nuance that uh, I think I'll adopt uh, myself, if you don't mind. <laughs> royalties, royalties. Royalties. All right. Royalties. We'll work that out after the call. Okay. Excellent. So, now, um, Stan, I don't know if you've made this connection before, and maybe we've talked about this, but for me, what really drove home the limit your losses and let your profits run, one, it was some back testing that I did on. Um, I was very privileged to have access to the portfolios of literally hundreds if not thousands of real decision makers, you know, real portfolios based on real human decisions. And I tested a simple 25% trailing stop loss or protective trailing stop. <laughs> now that I'm That's uh, great. woke to the new language. And it almost always made a considerable improvement in the outcomes of the portfolios. Buy the stocks at the same time, buy the same stocks, invest the same amount of money, just wait until a 25% stop percent protective stop got hit. And for 60 plus percent of the people, you got a better result. And you know, on average, the better result was like 50% better than what they had done on their own. And huge percentage increase. It was huge. you know. And yeah. I saw that in my own portfolio decisions. And I thought, man, I could have just uh, relaxed, used a uh, protective stop not had all the stress of trying to make those decisions about when to sell 
and I could have gotten a lot better returns. Hmm. Well, as somebody who appreciates math and logic, that was kind of a no-brainer at that point. Not that it was easy, but it, it did make sense. But later on, I came to uh, discover the work of a couple of Nobel Prize winning economists, Daniel Kahneman and uh, Richard Thaler. And getting Nobel Prizes in economics for telling us that we hate to lose. And that because we hate to lose has different consequences depending on when we're losing on an investment and when we're winning, right? When we're losing, our fear of loss makes us not want to sell. So we become risk-seeking. We double down, triple down, put more money into the stock. Averaging down. Averaging down, right? But when we're winning on an investment, our fear of loss attaches to the profits Agreed. and we become risk averse. Agreed. We want to sell. So when we're losing, we don't want to sell. And when we're winning, we want to sell. That's just kind of the human instinct. Isn't that counterintuitive? It's incredibly counterintuitive, but it really validated for me why this makes so much sense and why people really need to understand this as a core pillar of a successful experience in the markets. Absolutely. And, and it's been my experience exactly. Because I started out as a commodity broker in the old days, quote unquote, we were the bad boys of the investment industry, trading pork bellies and beans, you know, and gold and silver, mm -hmm. uh, and being very quick about getting in and out of trades. Commodity traders are uh, renowned or infamous for being very short-term traders on the average. After all, the contracts do expire, you have to roll over, et cetera, et cetera. So that was my beginning, as well as being involved in the Russian grain deal in 72 and so on, which changed the whole industry. That was called volatility. It actually puts to shame what we have seen in the last few months, believe it or not. I am a very short-term oriented analyst and trader, so timing to me is everything. And for me personally, 25% risk is large. Right. To use a kind word. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's everybody's got their own yeah. set of rules and techniques and philosophies. Yep. If you're a long-term trader, 25% is not necessarily a bad number. Right. The people that I was working with really we were focused on our core portfolios that right. we would, you know, hold on average for at least 12 to 18 months. Exactly. So let's talk about this for a minute because I think this is another really unappreciated element of successful investing, which is really kind of knowing where you're most comfortable and where your niche is in the market. So where are you most comfortable? What's your niche and why do you like it there? Well, I like it there because uh, as they say, I've got the need for speed. <laughs> and, uh, Has that been true from uh, the early days? Oh, God, yes. The very yeah. okay. 60s, so right? Some and, good stories there, I'm guessing. Oh, well, I can't tell them all. Okay. So anyway. <laughs> so you are a short-term trader. What, what does short-term mean for you? I was a gymnast in college, okay? Okay. So that's perfection, and your routines don't last long. All right. That's yes. it. That's yep. it. My routine yep. was short, sweet, and exacting. Yes. That's my personality to an extent, as well as my trading style. So I've concentrated for decades on technical analysis to improve my timing, the techniques, as well as the money management to control the losing trades. A little quickie here. I'm going to ask you a question, Richard. Okay. Every time you make a trade, you expect to be right, correct? 
I'm afraid that's how most people start out, and that's certainly how I started out. Uh, you but I would your say, bet there. you know, <laughs> most people would say yes, correct? Yes. Act, act yeah. like a neophyte here, please. Donald, an experienced trader. Well, you were asking me. I know. I I made a mistake. <laughs> but the normal answer would be yes. I expect to be right because I'm I'm going to buy this and it's going to make money. Otherwise, I wouldn't buy it. Right. Then the assumption is you're going to be right all the time. When's the last time that ever happened? One of my favorite books is uh, by Ned Davis Research. It's called Being Right or Making Money. Uh, that's good. I think I know the guy. Nevertheless, yeah. um, the point is you're not going to be right all the time. You have to plan for the mistakes. And money management is all about that. Yeah. And your 25% is fine for long-term investors. Uh, you went through the numbers and it tends to work for long-term traders. Uh, it would be too big a number for short-term traders, but that's where we are different but alike at the same time. It's, a, it's the same technique, just different approach. What is your average holding period, Stan? Uh, you're looking at your um, sweep hand on your clock? I got it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a few days would be normal. Uh, and that's called, you know, swing trading to most people. Mm -hmm. Scalp, scalping is a day trade, same thing. It's in and out in the same day, 24 hours or less. Intermediate trading would be considered a week or two or maybe three or four. And long-term trading would be generalized uh, six months, give or take, and of course, longer. And now you're in the quote unquote investor genre. So I'm definitely a swing trader, relatively short term. If I make a trade and I'm wrong, it oftentimes is a day trade, and I'm wrong right away. Mm -hmm. My expertise is timing. I expect to, am, and will prove <laughs> that I am into a trade very accurately for tops and bottoms when they work properly. But if they don't, I'm history. I'm gone. I'm stopped out very quickly. My protective stop is just hit, and that's it. I've seen your trades myself, and I can testify that I've seen you get pretty close to the top tick in the market on several days. Now don't tell anybody else, please. So what do you think it takes psychologically to do the kind of trading that you do? I gather you spend a lot of time in front of your computer screens. And on the um, psychologist's couch as well. <laughs> but, but the point is, yes, I do. And that's a trader for you. An investor might check his portfolio at the very most, what, once a week or something? Mm -hmm. And go about their business. And their business is their occupation, their love, their lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. And investing is a little bit of a sideline. Not that that's bad. A trader is his business. And therefore, fast computers in front of them, got to have the internet all the time. That's what they do. That's what they love. And that's it. That's how they typically make their living. Yeah. Not always, but that's it. So traders are a different group. They're high strung, generally speaking. And one of the questions we want to cover is, who do you think might be qualified to make a good trader? Yes. And my answer is, People like architects or mathematicians, for example, only because their background is exacting. You know, math isn't wrong. It's exacting. Yep. People who are trained in those kinds of occupations and activities, who does not make a good investor, 
I'm sorry to say, and my dad was a lawyer, mm-hmm. doctors and lawyers, mm-hmm. they spend, thank goodness, most of their time learning medicine and law, Yep. not learning the investing techniques and about the markets. And solving long-term problems rather than necessarily uh, yeah, exactly. a short-term problem. <laughs> so, so they will hire a fund manager, you know, or invest in mutual funds and something like that and give the money to other individuals to handle. But a trader has to have his hands on. He makes his own decisions for better or worse. And how long do you think it takes to become a good trader? Yeah, that wasn't on the list, but I'll answer it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a very tough question. Uh, A lot of, first of all, of course, a lot of people try again and again and again, put money in the account, it disappears, build it back up, it disappears, build it, uh, and they never become good traders. They don't have the attitude, the psychological makeup for it, personality, whatever you want to, synonym you want to use. Then again, some people are suited for it very quickly, and it just fits their personality. I can't figure out who, just by meeting somebody, might be a good trader off the bat right away. It's, it's above me. I, don't, I just don't know yep. what a great answer would be. But it has a lot to do with your tolerance for pain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Not a good word to use, but uh, adequate. Tolerance for stress? Stress is a better word. Yeah. For I'm wrong, too bad. Let's start again, get back on the horse. Right. Yeah. I've heard that from many successful traders that uh, you know, why why are you successful? You know, because I'm able to change my mind easily when I'm wrong. Yeah, Schrager. What was his book again? Market Wizards. That's it, Wizards. I think that might have been Paul Tudor Jones. I uh, I met a few. Um, know a couple fairly well. And uh they Burned, crashed and burned a few times. Yeah. So Stan, I'm interested, do you have a favorite technical indicator? And if so, what is it? It is indeed relative strength index. Wells Wilder developed it in the late 60s. I was lucky enough to know the guy. I don't know if he's still around or not. Relative strength index is an oscillator and it can be used for long-term investors as well. So that it is used on a short-term basis, the way I use it, Mm -hmm. and uh, short-term input numbers. Wells developing it in the 60s did not have access to one-minute charts, 10, 15-minute hourly. There was only daily data as well as weekly and monthly, and it worked very well with daily data. So relative strength. Yes. uh, You're measuring strength relative to what? Relative to previous price action. If you look back, and the normal look back is 14 days using daily charts, and I don't want to go into the details on this particular podcast, Yep. but how strong is the market today relative to the past 13 days? Right. Really, really strong up moves indicates frequently that you are quote-unquote overbought, a phrase people hear often, Mm -hmm. and lately oversold because of the crash. Mm Mm-hmm. And this indicates, based on either zero to 100 scale, that you are probably close to a turning point from a top back down or from a low level of RSI back up again. And when you learn how to drive a car, you learn how to push the brake quickly or slowly and turn the steering wheel quickly or slowly. So it's not, how, it's not the tool you use, it's how 
you use the tool. Amen to that. So relative strength is an oscillator, yep. right? And which is kind of like a rubber band. It is. And when, so when the kind of momentum or the acceleration starts to move, you know, beyond its recent averages, you know, that's where you kind of get stretched to the upside or the downside. Uh, yeah, then you have to know what to do with that information on top of it. So it's yes. just a, it's a beginning indicator. And how do you use it? What do you do with it? Once you are, for example, we are currently in a strong market position at this date. So under any other circumstance where you've been going up for a couple, three weeks, maybe significantly, you're quote unquote overbought. You look for other signals uh, in the way that the market is moving to help you decide that you are topping out. One of them would be an expected cycle top, for example. Mm -hmm. You might have a historical rhythm that tells you that approximately this point in time, you're looking for a market top. There is a seasonal cycle that has a bottom frequently in October. Mm -hmm. So you, you would look for oversold conditions in October. You would look for a price action that says, well, we're starting to make new highs for the last two or three days. You have a short-term moving average that's turning up. You have a crossover moving, a lot of different tools. Mm -hmm. And once you learn how to use those tools along with cycles and oscillators, you have a decent combination that will improve your trading techniques a heck of a lot. Mm -hmm. And why is relative strength your favorite? I like it the most. Served you the best over the it years? It served me the best. Uh, I like a stochastics, George Lane's material. Mm -hmm. I like oscillators in general because they're a coincidental indicator. Moving averages are a lag indicator by the way they're calculated, but a coincidental indicator turns around when the market starts to turn around at the time that the market's turning around. A lead indicator might be a cycle that tells you next week in the future, you might have a low, and now you're looking for the reasons why you should go long on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday next week. Right. So that's how we use a combination of tools, cycles included. Understood. So what would you say is the biggest mistake that you see people make who decide to try their hands in the markets? No, that's easy. Planning. They just don't do it. I asked you the question before. If you make a trade, you expect to be right. Well, yeah. Yeah. But you didn't, you didn't expect it to go in the, in the wrong direction. South Tierra del Fuego, heading southern tip of South America, you don't expect that. And so right. you didn't plan for it. And the key word is plan. If you were writing a software program, which you've done, yep. myself as well, although I'm not the coder, I'm, I did the thinking part, mm -hmm. you have to plan for the bad, the good, bad, and the ugly. And the good's the good part, yep. but the bad and the ugly are what's most important because the good kind of takes care of itself. So it's planning, planning, yes. planning. So planning in the sense of planning, kind of knowing what the different possible scenarios are and having a plan of action for those different scenarios. Absolutely. And a protective stop is obviously paramount. Never, ever get into a trade in the market without a protective stop. Yeah. Golden rule. Yep. If you do it and you say, well, I'll place the order today later or tomorrow. Isn't the P word involved there? Procrastination? Absolutely. Yes, it is. 
Yes, it and is. you will just knock it off. You won't do it. You'll start making a little money, and you say, "Oh, this is great. I don't need to stop." Until all of a sudden, COVID nineteen pops up. Yep. Yep. Been there, done that. Recently. So, also in your uh, signature line is another acronym that we haven't really talked about, which is uh, Sira Bid. Sira Bid. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. Okay. And what is Sira Bid? I didn't know you spoke Latin. This is great. <laughs> Limit your losses and let your profits run. Cerebid, sell into rallies and buy into dips. RSI helps you do that a lot. Cycles mm-hmm. help you do that a lot. And it's yeah. all about timing. When markets are going straight up and you have already bought, you're long, you're making money, you feel very comfortable. It's counterintuitive to be thinking about getting out, mm-hmm. taking your profit. Mm-hmm. But how else are you going to get close to a top in the market in retrospect other than selling on rallies, but you have to know how to do it, and the opposite for buying on dips? How else are you going to pick the low of the market, the low hour of the market, the low day of the market, the low week of the market, weekly, of course, monthly for investors? Traders would more like be the day, the hour, maybe closer, but it's the same principle without using the appropriate kinds of tools. You have to buy into dips and protect yourself immediately, uh, and you have to sell under rallies. And when I say sell under rallies, I don't necessarily mean taking a profit on a long position. It's basically the identical situation for going short, selling into rallies. Mm -hmm. The philosophy may be a little bit different, but the technical techniques are pretty much the same. This is the trader's version of buy low and sell high? Uh, That's an oldie. Absolutely. (laughs) That's absolutely On a short-term basis. Or long-term. Or long-term. What investor would not like to buy the bottom of the market to the day? Don't you think most uh, novice investors sort of uh, buy into rallies and sell into dips? Perfect. Absolutely. 1,000%. I'm so glad you said that. They're so unfortunately catching the psychological back end of things. Yes, absolutely true. Why do we do that? Why is the, Why you know, the inclination to buy into rallies and sell into dips? Let me go over to the other wall and look at my psychologist degree Yeah, and, and look in the back of it and give you the answer. I don't know. <laughs> we, we, are, we, are, we are human beings and it exactly. is our nature to do this. And this is one of the things that's crazy about trading in particular and investing to a degree it's counterintuitive yeah it's like i like to say bass backwards well i i think it's because the markets are uh what i call as a system scientist an anticipatory system so everybody in the markets it's made up of a bunch of human beings they're anticipating what the other human beings are going to do and you know trying to uh, predict that right Sure. And so the markets kind of by their nature are going to be something that most people have to be wrong. Is this where we say, since I think you're going to be wrong, I'm going to do this. But since you thought I was going to do this, then I'm going to do this instead. Yeah. Second yeah, and third like, order thinking, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so how do you, yourself. I'm guessing that the RSI Part of the reason it's your favorite indicator is because it has been the most help to you in terms of 
buying into dips and selling into rallies. Is that correct? Uh, that is absolutely correct. It's a tool that I've used for many decades. Uh, I won't tell you how many, but a long time. And I've learned to use it very well. It has like every indicator shortcomings, but then so does practically everything in the world. Nothing is perfect. And you just have to learn in particular the idiosyncrasies and the shortcomings. Yeah. The strengths everybody advertises. This, you know, this car is great. It's got a great engine and it looks really cool. They don't tell you that the tires fail in five minutes and that the gasoline tank is a quart of gas and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So it, it's learning the shortcomings that's most important, to be honest with you. The strengths pretty much take care of themselves. Have to pick a good car. <laughs> awesome. Stan, what is the most important thing you've learned in your nearly 50 years of being in the markets? Never pass up a bathroom. <laughs> Wait a minute. Was that true uh, you know, in your 20s as well as 50 years later? You ask in my long history of doing this. Okay. Yep. The word long, of course. How did but that impact it? your trading? I think that was Jack, <laughs> Jack in the movie, what, um, Bucket List, I think it was. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your number two most important thing you ever learned? Planning. You've learned in 50 it, it's years. It's again, I got to repeat yeah. myself, planning. Yeah. Uh, and planning is, is, I look, I don't really like, I get tired of it, sitting in front of what I'm doing right this moment, six charts, indexes, watching things bounce around. I know what to look for. I've done it. For, for millennia, and I want to be on vacation forever. Yep. And I still love watching the markets. I just said I didn't like it, but I do. And I'd rather prove to myself that I have a trading system that will just plain do it. And I don't have to keep track. But of course, you still will. No matter what trading system you ever develop, and you did this yourself, you will still watch it. You don't one million percent trust it. There's always something new around the corner. The markets always hand you something different. It's dynamic. It's developing. There's You never step away forever. Yeah. You always have uh, an employee, for example, watch it for you if necessary, and it would be. So, yeah, that's it. Planning, planning, planning. Yeah, and that's programming. Let's, uh, you know, let's go back 50 years to the young man uh, who was walking into the world of trading. And if he came up to you today and said, hey, I want to get involved in trading, what advice would you give him? And I have said this a million times, having taught many thousands of people in a, way, a variety of ways, what looks good is not, and what looks bad is good. Again, Trading in particular, investing in general, is counterintuitive. It's upside down. Contrarian? Contrarian. It's bass-ackwards. <laughs> people run after rallies to buy in because it's going to get away from them. Yeah. And it doesn't. You buy the high of the rally every time. I almost guarantee it. Yeah. Of course, yeah. past performance is not indicative of future results and hypothetical, blah, blah, blah. So that's the problem. Yeah. You are your worst enemy. Learning not to think that way, learning to think bass backwards, to be counter counterintuitive, 
is really very important. That's why you have to buy the brakes, which doesn't sound like the right thing to do. Why right. would I buy something that's going straight down? Uh-huh. Okay. Pregnant pause. Right. It's buy tough, the brakes. very ha hard to do. I was back on the uh, automobile analogy, and I've actually heard that, uh, you know, for uh, like um, NASCAR racers, the brakes are actually what help you go faster. And the analogy being, you know, you have to know how to work your brakes in order to be able to maximize your speed through the turns. that's why I'm not a race car right? driver. <laughs> I guess I'm not yeah. a race car driver, but that does yeah. make some sense. How to break into the turn to be able to accelerate exactly. out of it exactly. makes some sense. Well, Stan, uh, I've re I really appreciate it. Um, again, this is about understanding investing. And I think that uh, I've learned a tremendous amount from you sharing your uh, unprecedented experience in the market. So thanks so much for joining us. Really enjoyed it. Same here. And uh, let's talk again soon. Excellent. And have a great day, everybody. Thank you very much. All right. Wow. What a great interview. It is astonishing to me that Stan and I have reached so many of the same conclusions, even though we've been working at opposite ends of the trading investing time spectrum. He's a short-term swing trader. I'm a long-term investor. I learned several new things, which is exactly what understanding investing is all about. Let's review what we just heard. First of all, Stan and I agree, as does everyone that knows anything about the markets, that as human beings, we bring terrible psychological handicaps to the markets. We are our own worst enemy. No doubt about it. If you won't take it from me, a 20-year veteran, take it from Stan, a 50-year veteran. Stan relies on rules and algorithms to overcome his own terrible psychological handicaps. And that's the truth, folks. I'm sure Stan would agree these terrible psychological handicaps never completely go away. I hate to tell you, but doing the right thing never gets easy. It may not be complicated, but it's not easy. We need tools, much the same way someone whose legs don't work need a wheelchair. We need these supports for the rest of our lives. As Stan said so clearly, success in the markets is bass backwards. We've got to have rules and tools to keep ourselves moving forward and not backsliding. Stan talked about spending time on the psychologist's couch. No doubt. The rules Stan uses are embodied in a couple of fantastic and memorable proprietary acronyms. They're so important to Stan that he puts them in every email that he sends out. Lila Liper and Sarah Bid. Lila Liper is an acronym for limit your losses and let your profits run. Anyone that knows anything about me knows this is the very foundation of my own work as well. This is exactly what a protective trailing stop does for you. What most people don't realize is that two Nobel Prizes in economics have been awarded for telling us that we simply can't live without protective trailing stops, unless we're willing to just buy and hold for 10 or 20 years. And I don't know that many people that are willing to do that these days. I loved how Stan called trailing stops protective stops instead of stop losses. 
In fact, I'm going to start doing that myself. Language matters. We all want to be protected. None of us like to lose. Let's use protective stops. All right. Now, here's where I really started to learn some new things myself. Sira BID, S I R A B I D, is an acronym for sell into rallies and buy into dips. This is an area, again, where I personally really learned something from Stan that I need to take to heart and explore more, which is exactly what understanding investing is all about. What I do know is that most people do exactly the opposite. Instead of using Sira Bid, most people use Bira Sid. In other words, most people buy into rallies and sell into dips. Stan's favorite tool for selling into rallies and buying into dips is the Relative Strength Index, or RSI, as originally developed by Wells Wilder. Quick aside here, I broke out the original Wells Wilder book, New Concepts in Technical Trading Systems. Folks, this was written in 1978. It's been on my bookshelf for a decade. I knew about it, but after Stan really talked about the RSI, I went back to this book. It's unbelievable. It's all in there. If you're interested in technical analysis at all, it was all written in 1978. Not only did Wells Wilder develop the RSI, he also developed the average true range, which is very similar to the work that I did in volatility. So incredible book. Can't recommend it highly enough. New Concepts in Technical Trading Systems by J. Wells Wilder Jr., originally written in 1978. All right. So let's go back to the RSI for just a minute, the Relative Strength Index. It's an oscillator. It goes up and down between zero, indicating oversold, and 100, indicating overbought. And it cycles back and forth between the lows and the highs. Stan uses it to sell into rallies as the RSI approaches the 80 to 100 range and maybe starts to fall back out and to buy into dips as the RSI falls and approaches the 0 to 20 range and and moves back out. He uses a 14-day RSI. And what that means is that the most recent day, there's an acceleration beyond what the past 13 days has exhibited. So as things are heating up on rallies, more people are getting involved, that starts to accelerate and the RSI goes up because the relative strength of the latest day is greater than the previous 13 days for Stan, who's using a 14-day RSI. Those of us who are interested in longer-term holding periods obviously need to look into a longer period RSI. And I'm definitely going to be doing that. So again, Stan's been under the hood of the markets for nearly 50 years now. And I have to be impressed that the RSI is his favorite indicator given everything he's seen and tried. And I'm going to be exploring it more myself. Stan is a short-term trader, a swing trader. His trades typically last from one to three days. I like my investments to last from one to three years, okay? Stan times his entries and exits and is particularly interested in short-term reversals. He shared with us that he used to be a gymnast and that he has a need for speed. I think it's really important to know if you're going to spend time in a certain segment of the markets, whether or not you're suited for that segment or not. And Stan clearly is, and he has been for a long time. 
Gymnastics is a lot of hard and exacting prep work followed by a very brief high energy performance. It's stressful. So you got to be able to take it if you want to sit in the chair in front of the screens like Stan and trade on a one to three day range. Okay. I hope Stan doesn't mind me saying so, but he's, he's a little bit on the OCD side of the psychological spectrum. You got to be a little obsessive compulsive to want to be a trader in the short term. Stan suggested architects and mathematicians probably could make good traders, but doctors and lawyers should probably stay away. I also found it interesting that even though Stan is hard at work developing automated trading systems, he was pretty clear that he doesn't believe we can ever completely rely on the machines. He always wants to have someone watching. Usually that's him. He does hope that eventually it can be somewhere else, but someone that knows what they're doing has to watch the machines, and I couldn't agree more. We need machines, but machines are not truly intelligent. So-called artificial intelligence is a poor choice of words. We don't need artificial intelligence. We need augmented intelligence. The machines aren't going to do it for us. I saw a talk by Ray Dalio recently where he said the exact same thing. Yes, we need algorithms. Algorithms are the future, but those algorithms have to be connected to a cause and effect relationship that we understand, and we need to keep an eye on them. Again, there is no savior out there. Artificial intelligence isn't going to do it for you. You have to be involved. We have to be involved. We have to own it. We have to do it ourselves. Yes, we need rules and tools. We need augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence. Finally, the most important thing that Stan has learned in 50 years, you've got to have a plan for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Most people don't like to think about the bad and the ugly. Unfortunately, they are destined to fail. Again, what a great interview. That is a lifetime of true investing and trading wisdom right there. That is understanding investing. Thank you so much again, Stan, for joining us. For those that want to learn more about Stan's work, you can follow Stan at www.stanerlich.com. That's www.stanehrlich.com. All right. Before wrapping up episode one here, which I couldn't be happier with, by the way, I'd like to just tell you about a couple of other initiatives that I'm personally heading up right now. The first one is the Foundation for the Study of Cycles, or the FSC. The FSC is a not-for-profit 501c3 educational and research corporation whose mission is to discover and record cyclical phenomenon in all the sciences and to promote the application of valid cycles to the progress of humankind. So the week of June 22nd to 26th, the FSC will be presenting a week-long online financial cycle summit with some of the world's leading practitioners of applying cycles to financial markets. Please go to cycles.org. That's cycles.org to learn more about this groundbreaking event. The second initiative is a new financial technology company that I'm founding called RiskSmith. 
We're well along the way to building brand new financial technology that I couldn't be more excited about. When I mentioned it to my own mother that my new company was called RiskSmith, she thought I must be pulling her leg. You see, most people, including my own mother, see risk as a dirty four-letter word, but nothing could be further from the truth. Those who wish to keep their heads in the sand are always free to do so. And frankly, the fact that so many people ignore risk management is what gives those of us who are successful our edge. Stan said it himself. There's no success without risk management. There is no Lila Liper or Sira Bid without risk management. And RiskSmith is all about bringing risk management to the masses in an engaging and impactful way. It's still an open question as to whether or not enough people will wake up to the fact that investing or trading without risk management is no better than a trip to Vegas. In fact, it's worse because you aren't there to have fun. So I hope that you'll help me prove the doubters wrong. I hope that you'll be woke, as they say, and go sign up to follow our work at risksmith.com. That's www.riskSmith.com. Well, that's it for episode one, folks, of Understanding Investing. It is in the can, as they say. I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have, and I thank you for joining me on this journey to understanding investing. Thanks for listening. To read the show notes for this episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, and then the links and resources mentioned, please visit understandinginvesting.com. There you'll find all the ways you can subscribe to our show. You can also leave a review by visiting ratethispodcast.com forward slash understanding investing. Have a great day.